0: Are you
1: working? What kind of work do you do? Oh. It's the Midweek Podcast. We thank you for joining us here today. It's a great day. You see three faces on the screen if you're watching on our YouTube platform. You see three if you're watching the video component that we have on Spotify. Or perhaps you're watching one if Charlie Bornoff decides to put, cut this part. The opening part is a <laughs> clip. Then you'll see there one Person on the screen on our social media at The Midweek Pod. However, alongside Charlie Bornoff, I'm Will Connerly. We have the pleasure of being joined alongside Robert Fry here today. And the cool part about Robert is, well, we utilize all of the data that he compiles every single week on his college baseball website, Fry And it, it doesn't just extend beyond it extends beyond division one baseball. He covers all components of college baseball, but if you want the best stats, the most comprehensive look at baseball data, you go to Fry And this isn't, it's not an ad. It's just literally a fact. And we're going to talk about that here today. Robert, welcome into the show. Um, And again, he's going to be co-hosting alongside with us today, adding his two cents and perhaps maybe even 10 cents. He might get a quarter in there on occasion, but we're certainly excited for Mr. Fry joining us today. Robert, how's it going?
2: Oh, it's going great. It's always appreciative that you have me on both Will and Charlie and Hopefully I can provide about a quarter of information.
0: I think you can Robert. Yeah. I, think. So I think we get, I think we get a whole dollar out of him to be totally honest. Also, yeah. I was going to th- thinking about it. Robert has to be the most uh, frequented guest on the pod, right? It's him or Ryan. I feel like.
1: It's definitely Robert Fry. I think because he did a baseball draft with us. He's done two True. small school drafts and this is the first time he's doing a episode in the middle of the season where we have our traditional midweek podcast format. And if you're new to the midweek podcast, Well, the format goes winners, losers, weekend rotation, and series to watch. And so, Robert, yeah, that's right. Most frequented guest. You're above some guests that we've had, like Corey Mascara. You've gone on more than him. You've gone on more than Maggie and Zach, who's been on multiple times. Um, So uh, you're in rare air. Um, and uh, even if you weren't our guest the most, you would for sure be in rare air just by the work that you do in the college baseball community. But with that being said, we are going to get to our winners, our losers, our weekend rotation, and then our series to watch. Maybe we'll give you a quick recap of how Charlie and I did on our first weekend of picks, too. Um, not to pat ourselves on the back too much, but we both had success. So, yeah. um, yeah. Charlie, how about you carry it away? I've been talking a lot to start the podcast. Give me your first winner. I appreciate it, William.
0: I'm going to say my first winner of this past weekend was Virginia in my eyes. I mean, not only – some of the things I look for when I'm talking about who like won this week. Obviously, first one that comes to mind is like, if you dominated the whole weekend, then that's probably going to be a good thing if you're a winner, you know something like that. And I think – Virginia, Nestle didn't dominate the opponents they played, but they played really well in all all of their games this weekend. Like they, they they did actually dominate ODU in their midweek, so I'll give them that. They did beat them 8-0 on that. But in the college, Jacks College Baseball Classic, you t- they come in on Friday, beat Wichita State 5-4 in extra innings. I lo- and I'm, so, I'm a little bit of a coach talk thing here. I love when teams show grit, and I, I think there's a, there's nothing less gritty or more gritty. I mean, than Virginia grinding it out against Wichita State. They then put up 12 runs against a pretty darn good Iowa team and a really good pitcher in Marcus Morgan and then they finish off on Sunday with a 6-4 victory over Auburn who we were right before we started the podcast we're singing the praises of Butch Thomas and Thompson, excuse me, and what Auburn's done all year. So I think Virginia's definitely the first one and the thing that also is impressive too about that was they didn't get the best out of Griffith Farrell this weekend. And if you're not getting the best out of your your number one player and you still get all those wins against very good programs like that, that, that says a lot to me.
1: They're they're a power they they've been a power and they've been consistent Robert I'm I'm with Charlie on that pick I mean it's hard to argue anytime you're talking about someone having success and and they certainly have had it um Mm -hmm. for sure I mean a four and a week it's hard to argue with that and again they're a team that's just been a high model of consistency right a a team in a conference that looking forward to seeing what they could do within that conference this season Absolutely. They got dogs. They do. And want to know who else has some dogs? Who will tell me, well, they have some dogs, but then they also have a little bit of horn and they have some frogs too. And for back to back weeks, uh, my winner is going to be TCU who has a good time this weekend. They really do on the baseball field. They're seven and 0 they've had a good time to start this year And they just dominate UCLA. You know, a nationally ranked team coming into Fort Worth, Texas TCU is obviously favored, right? Your number five team in the country at home, but to be able to sweep UCLA and then to send them packing to the university of California at Los Angeles via a run rule on Sunday, got them home earlier than they may be expected on a 1 PM afternoon game. That's impressive to me. It's very impressive to me. And I guess I need to stop making them my winner because I told people I wanted them to win the national title before the year started, and I thought that was going to be my pick. But to do that and to continue to do that, dang it, I might have to keep them uh, being a winner because they had a lot of guys uh, perform at a pretty high level this weekend and I certainly impressed by the consistency that they've brought out to start this season. I mean, it's been fun to see. And a guy like Peyton Chatagnier, he's continued to fire me up. He's continued to per- progress. And a guy who had a triple this weekend, a couple RBIs and four hits. It's something you like. It's something you like. Now, the pitching staff, about a five-and-a-half ERA right now, I think that'll be get better. They've had to get uh, five saves already in seven games. So the bullpen has done a good job in closing things out. Uh, but all in all, man, I mean, this is a lineup – 347 as a team right now through seven games. And that's three games against UCLA. So they're, they're cooking. They're cooking in a big way. Chase Brunson, Logan Maxwell, all the guys are doing some good work. And uh, Curtis Byrd had a fantastic weekend as well. So that's what I have to say about the Horned Frogs. I don't know if you guys have any sense to add, but uh, pretty clearly to me, one of the best teams in the country. I, yeah, I don't think you can argue with that one. Um, how good they are. And How high they should be—that's up for debate. But I mean, they definitely should be on your short list of national title contenders this season.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, like I kind of said about Virginia and showing some grittiness when it comes to playing close ball games and winning them. I don't think there's ever been the country that's been more gritty about playing close ball games than TCU this whole year. I don't think they like playing to comfortable lead. And people might say, "Well, Charlie, TCU is not blowing these teams out." I'm like, that's fair to say, but all the same time, wins are wins. UCLA is a good team. FGC is a solid program. They listen holding Texas State to five runs on a midweek is a win in your in its own right in my opinion. So I gotta give them that, and the fact that they're winning this way and their pitching staff, which is a pretty tough, it's not necessarily that it's not you know it's not Wake Forest and it's not Arkansas, but it's a good staff. And the fact that they're winning these games and putting up good runs and doing all this with the pitching staff kind of being lackluster so far, uh, is impressive to me. Because well, I do agree with you. I think this pitching staff will start to stabilize. It might not be as good as maybe some people hope for, but like it doesn't need to be with this offense. And I like what you said, too, about Peyton Shatney. He just looks uh, refreshed and just ready to go. It's He's giving me energy. You know what I'm saying? Like, he is the definition of gritty, and I think he's going to kind of lead the team in that. Robert, you can make that stat up for you, but we got to find a way to quantify grittiness. And I, if so, I would, th- I would think Peyton Shatney is number one in that category.
2: I may not be able to quantify greatness, but I am able to quantify OPS on base plus slugging. And of the five guys you mentioned, Chenagier Ch- Ch- and the killer bees, you know, think about the Houston Astros back then with, you know, Beltron, B- B- Bagwell, Biggio and Berkman. Well, TCU has their own little bit of killer bees, you know, with Brunson, Bowen and Curtis Byrne. But of yeah. the five guys that have played every game for TCU, all five of them OPS over 950. Wow. And that's, that's Jeez. pretty impressive. So My uh goodness U offense is is one to be reckoned with there in 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 the Fort Worth area.
1: Yeah, I and the thing about, about that, their OPS as a team is a one dot. Jeez. They've got a one dot, one dot, zero, two, one as a team. Now, I'm not gonna get all up in arms. Uh, but but before we move on, the last thing I'll say, Charlie, you make such a great point, right? How good does your pitching staff need to be to win the big 12? It doesn't have to be as good as it had would have to be in the ACC or the SEC. Uh, but with a guy like Chatagnier, <laughs> he already has three homers, too. He's a 5'11 infielder leading the team at homers. And then, yeah, I love it. OPS as a squad. So uh, that's enough love for the Horn Frogs. We'll maybe give it to them again next week if they continue to play well.
0: It's true. Well, guess what? The love is going to stay in this, the state of Texas, because I'm going to talk about the Longhorns today, because the boys went 4-0 including a sweep against Cal Poly, which like, you might say, Charlie, it's Cal Poly. It's a good program, but you know Texas is expected to beat them. I'd say that is true, but I'm going to raise you one. And it's the fact that they didn't let Cal Poly score a single run on the weekend is what stands out to me the most. And the guy that led the way in that category too was their ace, their Friday guy, LeBaron Johnson going eight innings and eight Ks. Texas is looking really good. I think, honestly, I know we are kind of high on them when we, t- we did our um, preview with Alex Day, um, like what, a month ago now? But I would even say then, So far, some of these guys have surpassed my expectations. Jared Thomas almost has a 1,500 OPS uh, right now. He's at 1,493. Uh, Peyton Powell, over a 1,500 OPS. Jalen Flores is also over 1,000 on the OPS category. There's guys they are just raking this year. The pitching staff has looked good, and the fact that you haven't really gotten a full, healthy Tanner Witt yet I think kind of shows you a little bit, kind of the same category, TCU in that way where it's like if they can get Tanner Witt on that Sunday to really get rolling eventually, I mean, this team – kicks into another gear. And like, like you said, Will, while TCU is definitely the favorite and should be the favorite to win the big 12, Texas mm-hmm. is not far behind in that category.
1: Well, and I think they're, they're going to be their biggest competitor. I yeah. I I a hundred percent. I mean, it might not even be a think, it might just be a fact. And here's the interesting thing too. I like that is <laughs> they've got, they've got St. John's on midweek. um, And then they've got a interesting weekend in Houston, Texas coming up. With LSU, Texas State, and Vanderbilt in the Astros Foundation College Classic at Minute Park, that should be a lot of fun. But yeah, Charlie, I figured you would talk about Texas's pitching if they didn't allow a run the entire weekend. So yeah. um, that's with three shutouts. I mean, that's gonna that's gonna impress you a lot. And I think the pitching staff is, is something. Probably, I think, the only pitching staff that could probably go toe-to-toe with the offense like TCUs within the Big 12, um, and it's certainly performed well to start the year. I mean, the ERA as a team right now, through seven games, is 1-6-6. That'll play. That'll play a little bit for you, and uh, they've certainly performed well. I mean, Johnson... He, he's a guy who, who has great stuff. And I, I think Robert Fry could tell us a little bit about what he's done. But 14Ks through a couple starts is pretty impressive, right, Robert?
2: Absolutely, Will. And I'm excited for this upcoming weekend because then we'll have StatCast data behind LeBear and Johnson. <laughs> oh, and oh yeah. My for every StatCast game in college baseball exclusively on slash college baseball. <laughs> Be sure to go there and see uh, what. What uh, LeBaron Johnson's velo and spin and all that, all those cool metrics you get. But my thing was, LeBaron Johnson Jr., contrary to popular belief, is my pre was my preseason pitcher of the year pick in the Big
0: 12 or the the country. Very
1: savvy, the
2: entire country. Oh, wow, savvy. So based on the fry projections that we had for him, LeBaron Johnson Jr. is projected to have a 2.9 ERA, which was second best in the country behind Jace Burns, however. I expanded it to say, okay, how about if he pitched in the SEC, what would his ERA be projected? And his ERA would have been second-best projections wise at 3.29, which was second-best behind Devin Futrell's of Vanderbilt's 3.1. So I I really think LeBaron Johnson Jr. might be that guy in all of college baseball in terms of starting pitching.
1: Huh.
0: Hey, hey, okay. LBJ, how many are you going to K today?
2: That's
1: right. I like it. He, he, he's good. I mean, he's getting uh, about a K an inning a little bit more. I think he might start getting some more Ks. I mean, I think he, I mean, but who knows who knew? I think if you're Texas, Hey, if you can, if you can just go give us innings, I mean, he went eight innings against Cal Poly. I'll take, I'll take, I'll give it darn. I mean, he went eight innings, two hits. I mean, my goodness, he's a beast. He is a beast. And speaking of people being a beast, um, I'm gonna go to my next winner and we're gonna let Robert Fry. We told you guys, um, you probably are more concerned with what he thinks. And we'll we'll let he's gonna tell us what he thinks, obviously, piggybacking off some of our winners, but we're gonna give him the floor for p- perhaps giving us 10, 20, 30. And like Charlie said, we might even get to the Bills section in terms of him giving his thoughts on perhaps some of the winners he thinks that. Performed at a high level after the second weekend of Division One baseball. But for me, it's another 7-0 team. It's another team from the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. And it's a team that I got to see this past weekend once again. And it's the DBU Patriots, a nationally ranked team. They crack into the top 25 rankings this week. And why not? They're 7-0. They had a 4-0 week. And they beat a pretty good Oklahoma team. And then they go sweep Central Michigan. And again, I just think that you really lick your chops now. Right, Because you really say, okay, what can you do against two nationally ranked teams in Frisco, Texas this weekend at the Frisco College Baseball Classic against Arizona, Indiana, Alabama, and then they follow it up with Baylor. And I cannot wait because they've got a midweek looming with TCU on March 12th, and you can bet your bottom dollar I've got that one circle. But upcoming this weekend, I'm excited to see what a 7-0 team can do. With Oklahoma State on Tuesday, then Arizona, Indiana, Alabama, then Baylor. It's a team who started 7-0 last year, and then they started to struggle. But could they keep it up? We know that they're going to win the CUSA. We know that they're likely going to lose only one or two conference games and dominate, and we know that they've got one of the best players in the country. But what can they do against a couple of ranked teams this weekend? Who knows? But what they did this past weekend was damn impressive, putting runs on the board. They've now scored 74 runs this season in seven games. They've only allowed 33. They're another team with over a 1000 OPS. And again, Grant Jay, I mean, looking like one of the most impressive players of the country. 12 hits, 10 runs scored, 11 RBIs and three homers. And then Miguel Santos, four home runs, a kid who's hitting about 400 as well. And then Grant Jay at 429 and then, and then the biggest story for me and the last thing I'll say is James L. Wanger, a freshman who uh, was 96-99 to 99 this weekend, five shutout innings and eight Ks. It was pretty cool to see, you know, um, there's a little bit of Bayou. They see a freshman's on the mound. They don't have the gun on when he's warming up first pitch 98 and it's just by you the freshman out of magnolia texas that did a pretty good job and i think charlie's getting a little frustrated well you had the yeah. same winners as last weekend but dang it i think uh it's it's fair for both those teams being a combined 14 and 0 despite maybe a little bit of bias with my proximity to the programs
0: yeah i mean i'm not mad about it listen man, if you if they keep winning we are gonna keep talking about it at the end of the day <laughs> I think the theme here today is the overall winner is just the state of Texas baseball right now because we've used TCU, DBU, and Texas all so far. And we haven't gotten, we haven't finished our winners so far yet. Uh, yeah. I think the thing that I like about what DBU is doing this year too is obviously they're raking. I think they're kind of like, when I think of DBU, I, I think, I always imagine, they're, I think of their calling card as their offense is very potent. I think uh, in the past that they've kind of been held back by their pitching staff at times.
1: Yeah.
0: And just overall, sometimes, you know, it's ebbs and flows of the college baseball season, but early indications like I'm very excited to see that Ryan Johnson continues to do the rest of the year. Yes. I want to see more of James L. Wag, uh, Wanger, some more because he's only he's only thrown nine innings, but he started two games. But he's also got a, a one-one uh, whip right now with a two ERA. And I also think to Deberry also four-five ERA. That's not half bad either. Like this is a really solid Friday through Sunday pitching staff right now, and so I'm very excited to see what they're going to do the rest of the year because we know they can hit. So if the fact if the bullpen is Makes it a lot easier for pitching staff when you have an offense like that. Hey, man, if you give it four runs, it's no big deal. We're going to drop eight on this team no matter what.
1: Yeah, and before I give it to Robert, Charlie, I'm all for it because Wanger had a great second start. Johnson had a great second start. Obviously, Johnson being their Friday night dog, he's got stuff. And I don't know, Robert – I guess we got to check your site if there's going to be a stat cast action where the Frisco Rough Riders play in Frisco, Texas this weekend as they take on a couple of nationally ranked teams. But a guy like Ryan Johnson has 20 K's and 12 and a third. I think that tells you how good his stuff is And uh this past weekend. Seven shutout with thirteen Ks. He uh probably could have been in my weekend rotation, but I knew I was gonna talk about him as a winner.
2: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, you know, with Frisco being a double A ballpark, we won't get stacked. Cast data, but man, you know it's so close. <laughs> Wenger and uh, Ryan Johnson in that rotation. Oh, oh man, that that DB rotation to be throwing fuel. You know, having guys in the. Mid mid to upper nineties. I mean, it's it's seriously amazing being able to see mid major college baseball perform like this, and that's something I'm just a- extremely appreciative and and happy for. Of as as college baseball continues to grow, seeing these mid major teams like Dallas Baptist, who if you don't if the listener doesn't know this, they're Division two in every other sport but baseball. So seeing this success on the baseball field is, is amazing for college baseball. So we're, I'm fired up for it.
1: Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm with you. Insane. And they play Charlie's team this weekend, Indiana and number 15, Alabama, number 19, Indiana and Arizona. So I think we'll figure out how good they are real quick. I mean, if you don't want to lock into college baseball lock in this weekend, I mean, it's put on by division one baseball. So you can watch uh, – there's a lot of ways to watch, but they have a stream. But, I mean, you can click the live stats. You could do whatever you want, but it'll be fun. Smoke
0: signals, all sorts of things, really. Will, you kind of – you already alluded to my uh, my last winner. And it's a winner oh, that – like I, we've been, no, that's totally fine. Don't worry about it. It's a team that I think a lot of people as a dark horse, as in should be ranked in the top 25 in preseason. And they're, they're, I'm glad they're getting some recognition now. And that is the University of Indiana and the Hoosiers. They went 4-0. They swept the solid Baylor team. Uh, I don't think people. I know he hasn't gone a lot of innings yet, and I would like to see him go deeper into games. But currently, so far, Connor Foley has been fantastic. Ten innings pitched, zero ERA. His WHIP is under one; it's 0. .9. Has struck out fourteen in those ten innings pitched. He's been really good. He was solid over the weekend. He went six innings, seven Ks, one hit, four walks. He obviously, wants to see the walks get a little bit more down, but that's okay. Morgan Copley has been really good for them as well this year. I think he has what is it? Where am I at? I can't find him. He's got four homers on the year. Devin Taylor's right behind him with three. I mean, this team is pretty balanced, and, like, I know a lot of people will, uh, I know some of our friends at College Baseball Central will call, uh, call the Big Ten a uh, a non-Power 5 conference, which is fair at times, but uh, Indiana's got a real chance of winning this whole thing this year. They're a really good team. I think they've got an outside shot at possibly hosting a regional the way they're playing, and if they can, can continue to do that, I mean, I'm very excited to see what this Hoosiers team can really do.
1: And they had a great year last year, and they're trying to build and on it. Denton Sagerman, shout-out to him, and he's helped the charge, hasn't he?
0: Indeed. He really has. And like one more thing to add on to like Copley over the weekend had his, had three homers and eight RBIs. He was a big reason that Hoosiers played really well over overall. And I, I mean, once this, once conference play gets going, I think other than really the Iowa, I don't really know who's going to stop Indiana when it comes to the big 10.
1: Yeah, that's, you bring up a good point. You bring up, I mean, Iowa's got that, that a nasty one, two punch. Yes. that feels like they're going to, go on a run anytime. I mean, coming off a little bit of a, maybe struggle recently, but I mean, yeah, they've got Brody Brecht. I mean, facts, but the thing about, yeah, Indiana, I mean, it's interesting because they beat coastal early and then they go Miami, Ohio. They beat them. They beat Baylor, man. They, they look good. They look good. And they had a great year last year. I just don't know how hot, how high are we going to get on this team? Maybe Robert Fry. Do You have any comments?
2: I mean, the one comment I'll say about Colin, or excuse me, Connor Foley's p- pitching excellence is, you know, his 091 batting average against currently 95th percentile in all of Division One baseball amongst qualified pitchers. So his ERA obviously is pretty good, too, you know, 100th percentile there, too. So True. We're, uh, we're, if Foley can pitch well in, in this conference, and especially at a hitter-friendly park like Indiana, that just helps – just tenfold being able for indiana to not just you know win more ball games but win the big 10 conference and then advance far into the postseason potentially to omaha
0: yeah singing the
2: sweet praises robert i love hearing that through the
0: headphones
1: That, that that's gonna be fun to see i mean they've obviously swung the bat well too they're hitting 319 as a team um, there's a guy named Devin Taylor Charlie who's done pretty well too. He's doing okay. Start the year. I mean, he has walked more than he struck out. As eight RBIs, three home runs, and he's only hitting five fifty two. What percentile is that? What well, I mean, that is dang good uh, for Devin Taylor. And I think uh, they they got a lot of a lot of bats that I think do well. But I think, like you said, the route to a Big Ten title is probably going to be the way you throw the ball too. Um, It gets cold sometimes in those conference games, and you got to be able to shove. And I think that they have shown that ability. And I'm going to keep it in the state. I'm going to keep it in the state for my next winter. I'm going to go to Indiana State. Uh, speaking of the state and speaking of the Sycamores, speaking of a team that I feel like we have to remind everybody, they won 45 ballgames last year. They I actually got it. robbed out of hosting a Super That's Regional right. a season ago. They actually had to come down to Fort Worth, Texas, and play TCU because the Special Olympics were scheduled to be that weekend at Indiana state or in Terre Haute rather didn't have the hotel space. I get it. And it was cool what TCU did. We already covered that story, but nonetheless, this is a really good team. They start the year seven and Oh, and every year it feels like they've just got to reprove themselves. Oh, are they a good baseball team? Oh, are they a to baseball team? Well, what do they do opening weekend? They beat a UConn, they beat a South Florida, they beat a Louisville, they beat a Florida Gulf coast in a the midweek. They beat a Michigan state in 10 innings and then beat Marshall. They've won all these close games. Obviously they're the, probably the grittiest team in the country right now. They've won a couple extra inning games. They won a one run ball game against Louisville, a one run ball game against Connecticut. I mean, this is an impressive team and talk about coming up this weekend, a series to watch at Southern miss. You know what yeah. I'm saying? If you can't lock it in for that in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, you're not locking it in for anything. And that's not to mention they're on SEC Network Plus coming up on Tuesday. As I always hate to mention coming up on Tuesday, because if you're listening to this, that game may be going on or may have already happened based on Hopefully. when we published the midweek podcast. Hopefully but, listening Tuesday
0: morning because the game's at 5.30 p.m. That's,
1: that's correct. It could be a possibility, but everybody's got their daily dose or weekly dose of midweek on their own schedule. You know what I'm saying? So we'll see. But Nonetheless, that is part of the podcast, right? The craziness of college baseball is always captured in the mid middle of the week. And yeah. that's the namesake for this podcast. Um, And it's also because of Charlie Bornoff and I. Well, if we wanted to play, we had to play in the midweeks, damn it, because yeah. we weren't no, we weren't weekend arms. But nonetheless, the Indiana State, man, they, they've continued to do it for me. And I don't know. If you guys think maybe I'm overreacting, but when you look at the resume this year, taking down some really good programs and doing it, not by hitting, they really haven't swung the bat. Well, maybe that's why people are concerned, but dang, they have pitched it. They have, they have a two Oh eight team ERA and you just heard the teams that they played. I mean, good teams and they, have four saves on the year, so they've won some close games by four different guys. A lot of guys can do it for them in the back end of the bullpen. And I really like the way this team can throw the baseball.
0: Yeah, I mean they are doing great so far this year. Uh, I'm very excited, like you mentioned, they're playing South Southern Miss and they're playing Vanderbilt tomorrow. Because as someone, since we have a podcast, I guess, and just in general as a fan of the sport, I like when teams get hot like the start of the year, like Indiana State, which is a smaller school, not a traditional power. I like seeing those games in the series early on because it kind of it makes me feel like I have a better idea of what I'm going to see the rest of the year when it comes to a team like Indiana State. And will you mention their pitching? I mean, starts and stops with Luke Hayden and Jacob Pruitt. They've only have two, between the two of them, their two best starting pitchers, only one earned run on the season so far this year. So that kind of speaks to how well they've been pitching. And both have um, Luke Hayden has a WHIP of 1.13, and then Pruitt's below one with a .94. And you kind of mentioned the batting. like It does need to pick up a little on the lower end because currently right now it's Parker Stinson, Randall Diaz, and Dominic List are basically backpacking this offense yeah. through this the first couple of weeks of the season. So I do agree that Indiana State will need to um, get a little more offense from the full one through nine of the batting order and not just three guys. But the nice thing for them is, as I think people will know if they've listened to this pod- podcast before, pitching can get you out of a lot of situations, and thankfully they've got plenty of pitching.
1: Yes so i will say another winner that i have unless okay. robert do you have any thoughts on the sycamores
2: no I, I think that you know being able to prove that they can play well and you know they they were able to beat vanderbilt in the midweek last year so hopefully it's true, they do it again true
1: yes and i agree with you i agree with you and i think that a 7-0 and start is good i think too early in the year i think we talked about this and we want to put this in perspective In the same breath that we can overreact to people doing bad to start a year, I think we can also sometimes overreact to teams playing well to start a year. But I don't think in this case for Indiana State, it's an overreaction. If anything, it's underwhelming to me that they haven't received more love for how they've played. But obviously the year will progress how it will go, and we're just a couple of weeks in. So we're obviously (laughs) going to figure it out um as the year progresses and obviously so so do coaches a guy struggles a guy goes two for 21 with 13 strikeouts he might get pulled out of the lineup you know what I'm saying so the, the year progresses
0: absolutely well I've got a couple of honorable mentions in the winners category hit me, hit me. first of all the St. Louis University Billikins, number one offense in the country 7-0 of the year just wanted to give them a little bit of recognition and then Robert reminded me of this thankfully before we started recording. Shout out to the Creighton parents for putting on the whole broadcast for the Sunday game. I mean, if that's not like college baseball in a nutshell right there, I don't know what is.
1: Yeah. So, do you have more details on that story of like what actually happened there? With the I don't personally.
0: I, I I'm not gonna. Lie, I didn't read read too much into it. Robert might know more than I do.
2: From what I understood is the game wasn't available, the stream, so the Creighton parents took it upon themselves to create a live Twitter broadcast and put it on there. And I was able to watch an inning or two, and, you know, it was you – could, you could hear a lot of parents talking, but, hey, at least you got a video stream of the game. It's
1: true. Yeah, I see because I saw on Twitter Creighton Baseball posted, worth repeating, the Blue Jay parents are providing a stream – and it was Creighton versus UIC right mm-hmm. and the parent i saw i saw mr shock uh tweet creighton parents out here putting the team on their back with this stream which was funny but as a lot of his info is but um i were they broadcasting it too or was it just somebody's phone i didn't get a chance to watch it
2: Yeah. So what happened was it was just somebody's phone and it was just your typical, you know, crowd commentary, Um, obviously more geared towards Creighton because a Creighton parent was um, back there. But uh, yeah, it was pretty much just having a a video camera or from your phone and then streaming the game. Shout out to Creighton's
1: parents. That's That's pretty cool to hear. I think that would be a cool, like, you know how they do all the broadcasts, like for the national title, like Sky Cam, this cam, to have like a crowd broadcast to hear what the parents are saying. You know what I'm saying? Like during a game, like a high level, big college, because I mean, it would have to be on a stream because obviously all those things would not be FCC regulated for some of the things parents say during college baseball games. But that would be kind of cool uh, to get that that fan along with the broadcast. But, again, shout out to them. I'm with y'all. I'm all for the parents stepping up Yeah, and, for and whatever it takes. broadcast man. on Twitter. I mean, how about it? For about me, it? my honorable mention, I love your slew pick, too. How about the Billikens, where the midweek podcast was cr- born in St. Louis, where both of us were born. So we have to shout them out. They can Pass. rake. I uh, haven't played anybody yet, but. True. <laughs> um, they still have raked. I mean, they still to score that many runs is kind of striking. So it's still pretty impressive. And they're like you said, highest scoring team in D one, undefeated to start the year. How uh, another undefeated team is Florida State. Um, and and again, the the competition. Sure, it can be, but they're they're a program that if they're six and zero any other year, they're ranked. Because they're Florida State, because they've been one of the most historic college baseball programs of all time. But coming off the heels of what was last year, what was a twenty-three and thirty-one year to Florida State Stanford standards, I mean, it just unbelievably horrible, right? But and and breaking the streak of going to consecutive regionals, which was one of the longest ever. And then obviously the tragedy that happened this off season, I was really intrigued to see how this program would continue to respond and to start six and zero, pretty impressive. They dominated Butler and then they just dominated Western Carolina too. Um, so it's hard to say how good this team is, so to speak, but starting six and Oh, certainly going to get an honorable mention for the Seminoles for me.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. They've been good. Shout out to link Jarrett for hopefully getting this program back on track. It, it's kind of one of those things, too, where it's like um, for the whole state of college baseball, it's similar to like college football is more fun when like, in my opinion, USC is good and Alabama is good and like some of the traditional powers. FSU is one of those traditional powers in college baseball. So I do feel like there is something missing when a team like an FSU is not necessarily in the top 25 or is not in that kind of like ACC uh, contention year in and year out.
2: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, shout out to Cam Leiter transferring. And True, man. The the shove there, you know. He's got a fifty two and a half percent strikeout rate in his oh two My,
1: my goodness,
2: <laughs> being able to strike out over half of your batters faced, you know, that's pretty good. But the one honorable mention I'll say for my winner, you know, since, since we're, we're adding in winners, is how about those those Austin P guys? How that's... about head coach Roland Fanning? They're rolling seven in a row, including. Two big wit- midweek wins against Mississippi State, and after the the second game of beating Mississippi State, Roland Fanning enters the uh, radio booth with with the play by play commentary for Austin Peay. It's like, give me the microphone and just <laughs> he's one of the most fired up coaches in the country, and I'm fired up for him because. This this team is rolling seven in a row, especially those those two big midweek wins and beating Maryland Eastern Shore over the weekend, scoring ten or Cook more up. runs the of the series. So shout out to Austin P. Yeah,
0: dude, they're cooking. And uh, formally, the namesake of our group chat with the three of us and our chat and Ryan Kelleher. So shout out to Austin P. In the Governors.
1: Yeah, that is that is a great. Great, great shout out. Anybody else have any other winners before we turn to the other side of the coin? I don't think so. I'm all good. All right. Well, let's do some losers then, Charlie. Let's who's do Who's first up for you?
0: UCLA is my first one. And, um, in the grand scheme of getting swept, it's probably better to get swept by a powerhouse like TCU, but nonetheless, if you get swept, I gotta be on here. And that is UCLA for this category. Uh, they did play them close on friday only lost by one and then it just kept getting progressively worse which i thought was kind of a funny thing to look at they lose by one on friday lose by three saturday and then get smoked on sunday in a 13 to 3 loss to tcu um it's kind of like you kind of like don't it's hard to like hold it too much against ucla at times because while they're always really talented because it is a john savage team after all they usually are typically very young especially the most in the recent seasons we've been doing this so it's kind of like, okay, there's going to be growing pains with the UCLA and the Bruins. Uh, so you got to be a little patient. I Obviously, I don't think they're a bad squad. I think they're a really solid squad, and plenty of people did, considering they were ranked in the preseason top 25. So they do have the talent. But nonetheless, you get swept. You haven't been playing all that great a ball yet this year. So UCLA is my first loser.
1: Fair. I mean, I don't know. It's just like, from from my perspective, how I had TCU as a winner, you have UCLA as a loser, um, obviously going up against each other. But just for me, um, I mean, it's hard to hold it, like you said, against UCLA just because, I mean, who's going into Fort Worth and beating TCU, really? Yeah, really. I'm not – I wouldn't pick any team in the country to go there and take, uh, take a series from them. No, I could be wrong, and maybe, yeah, you could argue they should get a game they're ranked. And to the, your point about them being young, that yeah, was so interesting, right? they were the youngest team in the country a few years ago. Then guys transfer and it never ended. At least that class never ended up working out the way they wanted. But again, like you said, they're still ranked. And um, yeah, I mean, they get blown out on the getaway day. So they knew they had the serious loss. Maybe went out Saturday night. I don't know, but they, yeah, they didn't show up Sunday. And so that I, I'm with you. <laughs> so for me, Um, my loser is a team that I just think dropped the game. They shouldn't have, um, and it's Kansas state. Uh, they go, they play Holy cross, uh, this weekend and, you know, you're getting ready for the game Friday night, K state, Holy cross and K state. I mean, they're a highly touted program this year. There, there, there's a lot expected of a nationally ranked team this year by division one baseball's rankings last weekend. And on a yeah. Friday night against a Holy Cross team in Manhattan, Kansas, they let up 11 runs. You know, I just feel like you, you, how you let up 11, you got your ace and your Friday night guy, then you got your first out of the pen usually for that game. You let up 11. The next day you lit up 13 runs and you lose to Holy Cross. And then the next day you win five to four. You have to nail bite it out in a rubber match to even take a series from Holy Cross. And I don't know if it's they were ranked too high or they had a bad weekend. We overreact. But um I definitely think that's a tough weekend for them uh to be able to have to battle it out like that and not throw the ball very well.
0: Yeah, that's the thing with K-State. And I think the big worry going into this year, they obviously have plenty of players to get excited about. It does hurt that Tyson Neighbors is out for like the next month. Um but you have guys like a Calen Coldpepper and like Jaden um Lobliner is playing really well, so is Chuck Ingram. But like it is really tough when you've got starting pitchers with a five four ERA, a seven three six ERA. It's just one of those things where, while well, pitching can save you if it's good, it's really hard to compete and play well consistently with um bad pitching. And like they, you know, it's kind of the same vein like we we're talking about with UCLA in a way. It's like it feels a little silly to put them on here, but like, it makes sense given the fact that like it's just kind of like a little bit of like okay like. We know what the talent is, but clearly the the weaknesses are kind of glaring so far to start the year for K-State. It could become more concerning than maybe previously thought from a lot of people preseason.
1: Yeah, and I know Robert was going to want to mention that there's a guy on K-State that played at an NCAA Division two school and Daniel Rivera, who has five stolen bases and over 1,000 OPS on the year. Indeed.
2: Yeah, of course. <laughs> and, uh, stealing home this past weekend as well. <laughs>
1: Yes, that was electric. It was. And I mean, K-State's a team that, that they, I mean, they're hitting 280 as a club, 938 OPS though. So it feels like there are a lot of, I mean, those numbers right now, 13 home runs in seven games, along with 11 doubles and three triples. They're an extra base hitting machine type team plus 280 and a 938 OPS as a team through seven games that should play. The impressive thing too is they have 25 out of 26 successful stolen bases uh Jeez. through seven games. <laughs> so they're running. And obviously Daniel Rivera at the forefront of that uh with five. And then they've got another guy, David Bishop, six of six. Like they've got a lot of guys um who who can run and run at a high level. But again, a little bit of a glaring weakness with at least how the pitching performed this past weekend. And we'll see if it turns around. Yeah,
0: it's fair. Uh, Will, am I on to my next loser? Yeah, if you want to be. All right. My next loser, we're gonna. well actually, we're not gonna stay anywhere. We're gonna stay in the Midwest, I guess, because you said K State. Uh, my my uh, second loser of the weekend is Iowa. Their only win on the week was against D three Loris. That's no shade, Dolores, by any means, but they go for three. In the Jacksonville College Baseball Classic. They lose five seven to Auburn on Friday. They lose 9-12 to Virginia on Saturday, and they get a little bit cooked by Wichita State on Sunday in a twelve six loss. Um, you know. This might seem unfair to Brody Breck, but usually usually when I see a Friday loss from uh, Iowa, I'm like, okay, did Brody Breck just kind of have like a bad outing? Like, did he, you know, did he walk too many guys or anything? No, he struck out 11. He did walk four, but like only one earned run on the week on the weekend for him. The bullpennings let them down. They gave up five runs over um the rest of the game for them. So that was the big loss on Friday. Marcus Morgan, who I still very much believe in, I'm gonna make the very clear start struggled pretty badly on uh saturday he only went three innings four and runs five walks four k's not exactly what you want from a guy that is supposed to be an elite saturday guy which i still think he is in that category but you go over three with your only win um on the whole week being a d3 That's not usually a great look for a team that is nationally ranked and has very high expectations going into the season and like we mentioned before i well i still believe in Iowa. It's not necessarily a panic thing that any
1: by any means but
0: these are good pro these are really good baseball programs that they played against. And it was a little disappointing to see them kind of drop the ball.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a hundred percent probably the biggest national loser this week in terms of, hey, you didn't perform like we thought you should have, and you're getting dropped out of the rankings because of it. So, but again, and they have that. That those pitching that pitching staff that's ultimately gonna help them on day one and day two in the three game sets in the Big yeah. Ten, like we talked about last week. Um, you know, there's these continual storylines, and I think that uh, but again, you know, some some weekends you you have a bad weekend, and they certainly did. Absolutely,
2: man. Absolutely. And and the last thing I'll add to that is, you know, both in the first two games the series between both um Auburn and Virginia. They, at one point in the game, had a 90% plus win probability. Jeez. And both... Oh, they choke both, Was that first pitch? They both, you know, was... Uh, the bullpen kind of let them down in both those games against Auburn and Virginia. And obviously, there was there's just no pitching left on Sunday against Wichita State left to try to, you know, right the ship. So, yeah, I mean, like, like both of you guys said, a, a nationally ranked team needs to perform and only one win against a D3 team is not going to cut it.
0: Yeah, and not a very prominent D3 team either, at least to my knowledge. You guys are – Robert's Robert's more the D3 aficionado than Will or I on this one, but I certainly not, I don't know much about Loris University or college.
1: Yeah, neither do we. So what we will say is um, I'm going to, like, throw a curveball here, all right? Okay. Um, if you guys are up for it. So I know that you you guys talk about uh, needing to perform, right? Needing yeah. to perform. And I think that the midweek podcast needed to perform this week. That's why we got a guy like Robert Fry here, right? To increase our performance. And I think that we did not perform to start the year when we didn't do our small school draft. And Indeed. I'm not saying we're going to do that off the cuff now. No, that's not what this is. But... Since we didn't do the draft, can you guys give me a couple teams that come to mind right off the bat that you would have picked? Boom. Like I could say one, DBU, boom. Are there's those teams that come to mind
0: for you guys? I mean, this should be no surprise to anybody that's listened to this podcast before, but Campbell was Campbell. certainly in that consideration for sure. Um, Northeastern was till they got ranked. Like I, yep. So that was kind of another one that kind of was like, oh, damn, we can't use that one. Those are the two big ones that come to mind. I'm trying to think if there's any others. Um, I was kind of more locked in on like the, the Indiana's where it's like power five schools that just aren't going to be ranked. I was just curious to see how they're going to be this year.
1: Yeah. Because obviously uh, for small school, Robert, it's non power five, non ranked. And I know Robert had some fire ones. Oh yeah. um, I know <laughs> you did, didn't you?
2: The one that I wanted to tackle during the small school draft, should we have had it, was um, Belmont, who uh, yeah, it beat South good this weekend. So, you know, seeing them being able to perform that, because they return a ton of their offense from last year, a ton of their team, actually. So they're, they have 73% of their team returning from last year. So that's a, that's a team that I thought could, could really make some waves there and, you know, yeah. perform in the uh in the Missouri Valley conference especially and, you know team in like indiana state
1: exactly and i think that you guys are probably like why did he throw us this curveball this was <laughs> and the reason i threw the curveball is because for the small school draft which took a year hiatus it is, is um you
0: guys just this, couldn't handle me winning too much that's all that's what it yeah, was yeah
1: we had to take a little <laughs> bit of a break from it for a year um, that's going to be our explanation. However, with that, if you get to the NCAA tournament, if you win your conference tournament, you get success, right? You get more points. And if you just win, you get more points. And with that being said, my loser this week is a team that won 36 ball games last year a team that won their conference championship last year, a team that won a game in the NCAA tournament last year, but also a team that has yet to win a ball game this season. And let's see if you are a rider for real, because rider has started the year. <laughs> oh, and six and playing ECU and getting swept. Fine. But playing at ETSU and getting swept is a bigger concern for me because it's not the fact that they're 0-6, which is maybe a part of it, but it's the fact that they have really struggled this season, especially coming off the heels of winning an NCAA tournament game last year. And the struggle has been absolutely mighty. I don't know if struggle is the right word. Through six games, <laughs> they are hitting. You guys, I don't think you guys will believe me when I tell you what they're hitting, unless you're looking at it right now. They're hitting 128 as a team through six game. I hate to harp on it. Obviously, we just mentioned how good of a program they were. They would have been a small school darling a season ago, winning an NCAA tournament game. But they, uh, yeah, they have struggled they have scored 8 runs in 6 games have surrendered 49 and just have 23 hits in 179 oh at bats they're hitting 128 as a, that i wish i mean for Ilytics, might that has to be the worst mark in the country and if that isn't the worst mark in the country that other the team worse than them is my loser i mean that that's just a really bad really bad start to the year for them offensively um, pitching with an 887 ERA hasn't been great either, but the a 128 is just a striking number. You know, you talk about Mendoza lines, and that's below it as a team, so
0: it's uh, yeah, I, I gotta say, well, look, I only really it doesn't surprise me that much. So I am looking at their schedule right now, so I see the scores. Uh, jarring scores two runs against ECU, doesn't sc- they score two runs total that whole weekend? They score. Uh, six total runs against East Tennessee over the weekend. This, this past weekend, their season high of runs scored is four runs. They haven't even scored three runs in a the game. They only scored uh, two runs once. This is uh, this would have been probably the number one toilet bowl pick right now. Currently fr- speaking, of the small school draft. This would have easily been a. Uh, this is a. Uh, t- Listen, if they're if you're if people drive the struggle bus, the uh, they own the
1: fucking company. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> well, I guess we're not going to be a rider right now. But um obviously they're a good program. They're just really struggling to start the year. So that's my loser. Um anybody else have any losers? Obviously Charlie has another, I think. I
0: do I got my last one. It's, it, this one's all very the theme here in the losers picks so far besides I guess rider really. It's a little it's a little nitpicky overall. And I'm going to continue to be a little nitpicky here. Ranked teams Robert like you said are expected to perform. When you hold them to that standard Top 10 teams need to be held to that standard to a high, even you know, to a higher level, really. So that's why Vanderbilt is like my quote unquote third loser. It's kind of lame, I know, because they're over 500 on the like Charlie. They won their series. What are you talking about? But the loser, the reason I'm putting them in the loser bracket is I just, this team has not moved me in any way this year. The bullpen's been struggling a lot. Like Devin Futrell, I'm not worried about. He's a dog. They've got some good players. RJ Austin's a very talented player. I think they will still be a fine program the rest of the year. I am starting to question a little bit, though, if they're on that early fraud watch. Like, are they really a top 10 team? Where are they going to finish in the SEC? Because I look at that team and I watch that team, and I don't think they're a top-tier uh, SEC uh, caliber team currently, and possibly for the, I'm not going to say the rest of the season because there's so much of the season left to go. But at current my current pace, I'm not feeling a whole very moved at all because they've not really dominated the teams they played, and they haven't even come close. Like, with an SEC schedule, it's going to be real rough for Vanderbilt coming here soon.
1: I'm with you. No. I mean, before I go ahead.
2: Uh, I was gonna say no, I I agree with you, Charlie. I mean, there, there's a chance that you know for the SEC tournament they might play in that one and done game.
0: Yeah, it really is. It's it's yeah. not. It's in the, the thing is too. Like we talked about a little bit before the podcast as well. It's like it's Tim Corbin. I'm never gonna really count Tim Corbin and a, his teams out because he always recruits well. He know he gets those guys to buy in. They all know what it means to be a Vanderbilt b- baseball player. What it takes to be a true Vandy boy. But I just – this team, like, I don't know. I don't – I just feel nothing with this team. It's it's kind of like a saltine cracker. I'm like, yeah, like, it's food, so it's sustenance, but I'm not going to be pumped about watching or eating a saltine cracker slash Vanderbilt baseball.
1: Dude, but the saltines can, I mean, get the job done sometimes, Exactly, right? which Vanderbilt, in their defense,
0: has technically gotten the job done so far this year, as they are over 500 and have not dropped a series. But that doesn't mean yeah. – it's, it's kind of like – this is a weird comparison, but it's like LeBron James, like, playing pickup against a – uh like a bench player on a D one basketball team, and the final score is like twenty one to fifteen. It's like, yeah, LeBron won. Like, how in the world did you let some bench player on like Davidson score fifteen points? You know?
1: Yeah, unless it's Steph Curry. Oh yeah, Steph Curry was a bench player. <laughs> no, True. he wasn't. But to start his career,
2: he Fair was. Enough. Enough. I think
1: he sat out like the first couple games, and just went off. I watched yeah. that documentary on him on Apple or maybe Amazon. I forget the company, but it was good. Um. But yeah, that is, I'm with you on Vanderbilt. I was kind of with them. I think over the last, they're always going to be overrated. It's what I said last week, just because they're Vanderbilt. Yeah. Um, but they're obviously, they've earned that. They've earned that reputation. Very I true. mean, so we'll see. We'll see. I think um maybe they'll rise to the level of their competition when SEC play starts, right? That's another thing. Hopefully. And obviously they have the starting pitching at the front end talent to be competitive with anybody. On Friday nights, so let's not forget that they have talent in this rotation. But after losing their best player from a season to go, and just being a generally overranked, overhyped team, we'll see if they can live up to it again. Because obviously, those expectations are going to be lofty for a Vanderbilt team within D1 baseball's top twenty-five in the preseason poll, and still. So, we'll yeah. See. Ho-
0: hopefully, Davis Davis Diaz's uh bowels are also doing better too. <laughs>
2: yeah, hopefully,
0: hopefully. Hopefully he's not uh, shitting and pissing everywhere.
2: <laughs> speaking of that, uh, my my one loser I'll mention is uh, Charlie alluded it, to it earlier, but I'm going to say make him a little bit more generalized. I'll say California Pac-12 teams, and the the only team that's performing well is Cal Berkeley, who's six Dude. and one. But you know UCLA getting swept by TCU, Stanford, who's made the College World Series the last couple of years, is two and five. They Yikes. lost. It- Cal State Fullerton they lost midweek to UNLV and then they hosted Penn State who traveled essentially across the entire country and they lost two or three to them and not only they lost two or three but they lost both of their games by double digit runs so that's a struggle team and then uh, USC in the same breath they started the season 0-5 they lost in the Desert Invitational Brigham Young Grand Canyon, Ohio State—they all lost there. Lost the midweek at Loyola Marymount. Then they lost the first game of the series to Portland, and was able to come back and win those two games. But you know that the state of California baseball in, in the Pac-12 in its final season, not looking great. It looks like uh, Cal Berkeley is the only only team that's looking like you know it, it might pull its have to pull the weight for the entire state of California in that Pac-12.
0: Yeah, that what a twist that would be too. Like the Cal, like struggle has been struggling for a couple of years now here. And if Cal's the only one that turns around, that's that would be actually that'd be so perfect to, for the Pac 12 to end. Kind of like how the football season was so crazy for them. And like the teams that are ranked, it'd be it would be kind of fitting if Cal ends up winning the Pac 12. I might become a Cal I might start riding that Cal bandwagon here in a minute just for the shits and gigs of it.
1: Well, let's think about this too. When you talk about California, I'm gonna give you my final loser and it comes out of that same state. And it's an individual team, but it's out of a different conference. And it's a team, you know, they play in the Big West. They've started the year 0-8, but it's not just the fact that they've started the year 0-8. It's the fact that they lost seven consecutive games to end last year. So Come it's on. the fact that if you do the math and carry the one, they've got a 15-game losing streak, which is the longest in the country dating back to last season. And then you guys are wondering, okay, Will, who in the heck are you talking about? What Big West team has struggled this hard? And well, we'll tell you that it's California State University, Bakersfield, the Roadrunners. Road yes, indeed. And so they take on the Dons in Bakersfield, California, coming up this weekend in a four game set. You hope they can perform. You hate to, you know, pick somebody while they're down. Now they're hitting 224 as a team, much better than Ryder at 128. Um, but uh, nearly a hundred points better, but still not great. But the thing that's been tough for them, the pitching ERA at a six four one, not horrible. They've just you know not been able to win ball games, and it's just been tough for them because it's been fifteen in a, in a row as a program, and you know they've been outscored by about thirty two runs through eight games. So it's not like they're getting blown out, blown out, blown out every time, but it's just been. You know, thirty-two through eight, you're still losing by a handily amount at least every night. So, I'll keep it yeah. with you with Robert and keep you to Cali. Yeah,
0: that's uh, it's that's fair though, Will. Because the other thing too is, and I'm gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and pretend that I've been watching CSU, Bakersfield Very closely. <laughs> but um, a lot of their some of these losses, like I like, I can, like, I understand. Okay, you lost to Missouri. Missouri's a better program. Loyola Marymount's been better recently. San Diego State's been playing pretty good ball because they actually beat Missouri this past weekend in their series. Utah's Minnesota. a decent program. Oregon Ministers. State, Wagon, Minnesota, New Mexico. These are all decent programs. Bakersfield's not known as some powerhouse, but the thing that concerns me is the next couple of honestly, the pretty much the half of the month, uh, month of March. Because, will you mentioned that They play San Francisco next week. Decent program, but a team that you can should be able to get wins against. That is not something that's unattainable for a, a program like Bakersfield. Then you have NJIT the next weekend, which is also a decent program. Same kind of thing. Then Pepperdine in the midweek, and then they play Hawaii. And they, and that on March 17th. So if they struggle through that. I mean, it's going to be a hell of a season for the roadrunners. That's for yeah. sure.
1: And they went 18 and 34 last year. They only won nine conference games going nine and 21 last year. And again, like there is a little bit of a silver lining. Like you mentioned it, they've played a tough schedule. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, and eight like Minnesota, you lose in extra's. You lose by a run to New Mexico. You get obliterated, but it's by Oregon State, one of the best teams in the country. Mizzou, I mean, yeah, I'm with you. Then you lose again in extras to Utah. Uh, But yeah, we'll see. We'll we'll see how they do. We'll see how they ultimately do in the Big West. Not necessarily a team that's going to knock your socks off. So you're saying you're kind of kicking them while they're down, sure. But um, we'll see. I mean, they can turn it around because obviously they've only had 18 wins in each of the last two seasons, and they start this year 0-8.
0: Yeah, it's tough. I guess we're on to the the fr- weekend rotation, I assume.
1: Unless Fry has more losers for us, nope, he doesn't. No, I think. Oh. Well, all right, general. so we're going weekend rotation, and uh, Charlie, you can start it because you're also going to finish it. Because I, I mean, it's just a guarantee. One of the best starts of all time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I think anybody with half a brain and follows college baseball knows what we're going to say here next. The Friday guy, the play. If if I had to vote for any kind of place player of the week as well. Honestly, this performance into Player of the Month if you really wanted to. Of course, I'm talking about Hagen Smith, Arkansas in an instant class against Oregon State. uh, Honorable mention loser, me because I didn't get to watch the game. I was at work, so that was a big L for me. But you're six innings pitched, though. three hits, 17 Ks, one walk against the potent, star-studded lineup led by Travis Bazana of Oregon State. I mean, that is what masterclass pitching is all about. This is the kind. This is the kind of stuff that Hagen Smith is expected to do. Obviously, you can't. You're not. Nobody's just sustaining 17 strikeouts a game like that. But if this is what the kind of performance you're gonna get at Hagen Smith, you better hope that you can if you that you can beat Brady Tiger and Mason Molina the rest of the way. Because if Hagen Smith is anything like this the rest of the year, Arkansas might as well get the, the SEC might as well hand Arkansas the championship right now.
1: Yeah, and Robert, I'm gonna let you get to it quick because I know you have a lot to say. All I'll say is he shows you that he belongs in pitching in facilities like Globe Life Field. I mean, he is a first-round surefire, first-round pick. Obviously, his stock only increases after he sets a new program record for strikeouts in a game and does it – again or tying the program single-game strikeout record, excuse me. But doing it against Oregon State was the most impressive thing for me. I mean, they looked like one of the best offenses in the country – and Hagen-Smith just shuts him down. Uh, you couple in the fact that he's a hard-throwing lefty, and then you couple in the fact that he needed only six innings to get 17 Ks. Literally struck out nearly everybody. Thought he could have potentially gone another inning. That was the that was the cool part about it. But at the end of the day, some good things happened.
2: Absolutely. I mean, yeah, within Hagen-Smith's start, you know, he had a 61% cold and swing strike percentage, and that's across all pitches. So okay. to get a cold strike or swing strike on 61% of your pitches, amazing. He averaged 90 96.7 miles per hour on his thinker and 85.1 miles per hour on a slider. Again, that was with the link because it was at Globe Life, so we able to see that on Baseball Savant and all that data. So – I mean, yeah, like Hagan Hagen Smith was another guy that was high on my projections. You know, he's projected for a three, six, seven ERA, but his strikeout rate was right around thirty-three percent, which you know, striking out one of every three batters. Obviously in this game, he struck out way more than that. But you know, continuing that trend of success for Hagen Smith, it's definitely uh in the foreseeable future.
0: Yeah, and the cherry on top to me too is just as as the player is evaluating the player, I should really be saying is the arm slot of which he throws all his pitches at and he's whipping it at 96 miles an hour and he's locating well and like it just adds another layer of how difficult it is it's already hard enough to hit 96 it's already hard enough to hit the kind of stuff he throws with and yeah and the fact that he's almost at like a totally like even arm like arm slot that makes it even nastier
1: uh oh, Will your mic's muted? I uh, appreciate that. I don't know why it was um but yeah, he's a kid also, speaking of winners, guess what state he's from? Hey, Haas Exactly. Bullard, Texas. And here's the thing too. Um I don't know what where you put it in, but we're gonna talk a lot about a guy that Arkansas baseball at Razorback BSBL tweeted after the game. Holy Hagen Smith. You know what I'm saying? Cause that's that that is the rare air that he entered going 17 shot Ks and shut out uh, through six. And he's a guy that you may forget his junior season. He suffered a significant arm injury during his sophomore year and then missed his entire junior season. So it felt like we were deprived of Smith, uh, but he he's made a comeback and um, obviously... He's a guy who struggled obviously with injuries in high school and he's struggled and he's had some arm injuries in college, uh, but he threw seven no hitters in his high school year, senior year. So he's a guy who just has always been great. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it's great that we get to see him play every Friday night or just Friday in general.
1: Hey, we hope if he could stay healthy, I mean, Indeed. he's first rounder easy and he was Very a true all American as a sophomore last year. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So, um, he's pretty good, Robert. He is pretty darn good, and uh, we're gonna go to our next guy in the weekend rotation, and it's taken for me to. That's why I talked a little bit about him. So I'm gonna go to my Saturday guy. His name is Brendan Summer. Uh, he plays at Arizona. Um, he went six of six on a midweek game. Pretty good it's, stuff. Pretty good stuff. Um, when you talk about what this man did for Arizona, now you may say huh, what are you talking about, Brendan Brendan Summerhill for, Will? Um, Well, I'll talk about him for a couple of reasons. Number one, and it's Brendan Summerhill. He is a 6'3", 195-pound sophomore. might not mean much to you, but what might mean something to you is the fact that he is from Chicago, Illinois, went to Whitney Young High School, one of the best high school basketball programs in the entire country. And you might think, okay, why, why is that important, Will? Well, it really isn't. But the important thing about it is he was an All-American at that high school on the baseball field. And he's a guy who made an immediate impact as a freshman for an Arizona Wildcat program a season ago. And how did he make an impact? Well, he started 18 games as a true freshman, Charlie. And what do right. you do, what's he doing this year? Hitting four thirty-eight to start the year has 14 hits in seven games after only having 15 hits in 22 games played last year. So he has one less hit 14 in just seven games. And obviously he went off going six of six on a midweek against Utah tech and had three more hits in their series at San Diego this weekend. So Brandon right Summerhill from Arizona is a guy I'm picking. Yeah, shout out to shout out to
0: Brendan. I mean, that's six for six on any—I don't care who you play against, whether it's Utah, with Utah Tech, or it's you know Florida. I don't really care what you're doing. You're doing a hell of a job at the plate there. He's cooking already. That's good. I mean, Arizona's a good program. They always have, and they probably always will be to an extent. So, shout out to Brendan.
1: Yeah, and shout out to Whitney Young too.
0: Yeah, fact. Shout out to Jalil Okafor and Miles Reynolds, former SLU basketball player.
1: Yeah, I knew you, Charlie, would have some good polls oh, on yeah, that. Of course, he holds the Whitney Young High School program record for single season home runs, OPS, and batting average. Get, hit 551 for his. <laughs> I think they're the, I think Whitney Young is the Dolphins, if I'm not
0: mistaken. I think that's their, ma- right, Robert? Isn't that their mascot? The Dolphins?
2: That sounds right. I, yeah. I can't plan on it though. If I had a mortgage, yeah. I'd bet
0: a mortgage on it,
2: you know, something like that.
1: And his That's brother right. his brother played at Troy and Northern Illinois. So father played at Ohio State. So he's got baseball in the family, and he's yeah, going to be – he'll be an All-American in a couple of years. I think we'll talk about him more. But um, he's obviously just a young buck getting after it as a sophomore yeah. for Arizona. Speaking of getting after
0: it, William and Robert, my Saturday guy is Jace Reinhardt of USC Upstate. Eight for 13, two doubles, a triple three homers, seven RBIs. Um, Robert's like the sex stat. woba on the weekend. On the season, according to Freiligs.com, he is hitting four oh six with an OPS of over 1,400. He has three doubles on the season already, which I like a lot. And he's already got five homers on the season as well. So, Jace is doing a lot right. This weekend was big for him, obviously, as that is um, over the majority of his home runs already. But he was cooking. And the thing I like about it, too, is that it was in the Spartanburg Classic, so it was against multiple teams, not just the same opponent each time. So, I think that kind of adds whether it's really true or not, in my eyes, that kind of adds another layer of like, okay, that's more impressive to me because you're playing against different opponents. So like, usually you might be able to pair all in one week for like, Oh, we're playing Sam for this weekend. We're instead of, you know, you're playing in a, a, a tournament and you're playing a lot of different teams.
1: Yeah. I'm with you. How about the next guy? And he got after it. I mean, you, you detailed it as well as we could, not, not much else to say, but all I am going to say is there's another guy who got after it. Another guy who, who must have got after it a lot in the offseason. A guy who hit 176 last year. And that's not 176 in a handful of at-bats. That's hitting 176 and you started 47 games last year. And you struck out 45 times and only had 19 walks. So a pretty rough season at the plate. I mean, 153 at-bats. But... A young man has come back this season, dawning number 11 for Creighton. His name is Ben North, and he is from Woodbury, Minnesota, and he had a pretty good start to this year's campaign and a pretty good weekend at that. Went three for four with four runs scored and had 10 RBI to start his weekend against Houston Christian. 10 RBI in a game, and he had 13 all of last year and 47 starts. But nonetheless, he continued to add another run driven in over the weekend. And, well, he tallied a couple more hits. and Had a really impressive weekend at the plate where he had five hits and six at-bats. I mean, you have yeah, to love it. You have to love it or seven at best, excuse me, five for seven with 11 RBIs. But nonetheless, Ben North, Charlie, he is uh, representing at a pretty high level right now. And well, what a turnaround, man. I mean, to, to be stuck in the lineup all of last year, you know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes mm-hmm. you get the thing, like, do I take him out? He's struggling. um, And, and he's come up, and he's come up really big uh, to start this season.
0: Yeah, shout-out to Ben North. And to think we would not have seen him on Sunday if it wasn't for the parents at Creighton. So
1: another win yeah. for the Creighton
0: parents right there. My Sunday guy, we're going to go back to the the bump here, and we're going to go to Texas again. We've been talking about Texas a lot so far. Talk about J.D. McCracken of Rice he, against the Louisiana Rage of Cajuns, which is a very good program. Nine innings pitched, six hits, one walk, one run, 11 Ks. Um, a great bounce back from last weekend. He struggled a little bit last weekend, but, I mean – that is a statement right there. I mean, we, especially like in college baseball, people are like, can play about it in the MLB how players, pitchers don't go deep enough into games. You can't ask for pitcher to go much deeper than the full nine right there. So after that, he put the team on his back for the W. So shout out to JD McCracken. He was cooking this weekend and probably one of the more underrated and less talked about. Um, pitching performances I saw because the two biggest ones and deservedly deservedly. So given the fact that they both played for Arkansas and Hagen Smith put on a generational performance, but like Mason Molina also threw five, no hit innings and 10 K's, but JD McCracken goes the full nine and strikes out 11. That's pretty darn good in my book.
1: Yeah. And you have a good book, Charlie. Appreciate it. Will. <laughs> nine innings, not many people could do that.
2: No, no, but another thing that not many people can do. And I'll, I'll mention two names here, but the number one thing was Travis Bazzana on the weekend at Globe Life. He had nine balls in play and his average exit velocity was 105.8 miles per hour, which a hard hit ball in the MLB level is 95 miles an hour. His nine centile exit velocity is 111.2 miles per hour off the bat. And so, you know, he if he's putting on more power, oh there, there's a good chance he might be a one-one yes. this June in the draft. But another guy I wanted to highlight is we're going back into the state of Texas, but we're gonna yes. go a little, bit, a little bit west and we're gonna talk about uh, a transfer from a division two, and that's Gino D'Alessio. Yes. <laughs> you know transfers from division two, Quincy, something where the three of us know very well and well, you know, he's he's had 42 plate appearances. He's hitting 355, 452, 645, and OPS over 1,000. He has three home runs and 14 RBIs for the Wildcats. He's been a boon for that. Awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. but, Shout out to Gino. I mean, G, Gino, like in the Fry Lakes projection, this is right around what he's supposed to do. And, you know, he's proving it right now at Division One level.
0: Yeah. We, hey, we we all knew this beforehand. We definitely had the inside scoop when it comes to. Knowing Gino and seeing him play, we've all seen him play plenty of ball games in the past at old Q Stadium. Aka the, is it The Rock, right? Is that what we called it? Or is it the name? My tweaking?
1: It's it The the
0: Rock was yeah. the football field. Oh, shit. That's right. They're just connected. So that's why it throws me off.
1: Do you not know what the baseball field is called? Is this QU Stadium then? Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, there you go. I was going to say Mr. Bornoff. <laughs> oh, man. It happens, you know. It happens. It happens, but <laughs> he happens a lot too. I mean, he's yeah. good. I mean, it's cool because, like, you had Gino DeLeccio, and we're not going to slobber all over Quincy. I know we all went there and stuff, but I mean, you had another guy who led the nation in home runs last year for Division Two, and he's was Louisville's three hole, you know, the, the opening weekend. So it's pretty, pretty impressive to have a guy like Luke and Gino. Uh, go on to the next level and perform. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Get a guy like Rakelton and Delecio. I mean, that's pretty good. Now I'm going to give you another audible mention. Now for a weekend rotation, a guy that might need to be in a rotation. By the way, he's throwing Charlie Bellinson of Duke, who's seven and zero. He picked up four saves so far in four appearances, including getting one this weekend. He has shoved to start the year, seven innings, 11 strikeouts, no walks. And again, four saves and four appearances. He's come into the game and he slammed the door shut against teams this season, Indiana, Coastal, Liberty, and Northwestern. So he's done a pretty good job, a guy that now on his career in his fifth season of college baseball, after playing three years at Brown and two years now at Duke in his second season with Duke, he now has 69 appearances on his career after he's now made four this season and again, slamming the door shut the name of the game for him with four saves looking like he's going to be their main back end guy. He had four saves and 15 appearances out of the bullpen in the 2022 season with Brown. And he had a three, eight, six ERA across 60 innings of work for Duke last season. So another big piece of the pen and again, went six and three um, for them as well. But yeah, 69 of relief appearances in his career is pretty good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this sounds Shout out to a fellow Charlie, first of all, but this kind of just goes to show you how deep and good the Duke bullpen is. It might, I'd argue it's if it's not the number one bullpen in the country, it's right up there in the top three.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they have a good pen. They're deep. They've got some great guys on both lefties and righties, and that's what I think I look at it in a pen. Can you have some good lefties and some good righties, yeah. right? And Duke yeah. has that.
0: You need a good potpourri of arms when it comes to a bullpen.
1: Right. And you need a good brain when it comes to making good series picks. Indeed. And hey. I think that's what we're gonna be utilizing now. You're patting yourself on the back. I this should for both of us actually. Yeah. Thank you. Thank us. you. So we had our series picks last weekend. They went well. Um, we picked the ECU North Carolina series. We picked TCU UCLA. We both picked the Horn Frogs. We picked Oregon State, Arkansas, but it was just a game. Then we had, what, West Virginia, Charlotte, and Missouri State, Southern Miss. All in all, we went three and one each. My loser was East Carolina and North Carolina. I picked incorrectly, picking the Tar Heels. And then your loser was incorrectly, picking Missouri State. But other than that, we got credited for three wins out of the five picks that we made with scratching one just being one game, but wanting to pick it because it ended up being a game well we talked a lot about this week with Hagen Smith.
0: Indeed, it did. Now we're on to... Our week three, but our second week of picking teams, which I've been thinking about. It. We really should start doing uh next year. We really make a note to start doing series picks, uh, starting week one. We've never done that yet. We always start with week two as our series picks. It's a fun little fact for us there. But William, should I start listing them off for everybody here?
1: Yeah, I mean, I like how you say the archives. This is the third year of doing this, and yeah. if you want all the statistical data, we might we're getting close to having potentially an agreement with Frylytics to post all our pick data on his <laughs> website to analyze how good we are at picks. We haven't got there yet.
0: I've got it all. I've got it all in my <laughs> spreadsheet, so I can send it to Robert whenever he needs it. Yeah, to.
1: if you want to promote what he is doing, we would love to be a part of that. Because here's the thing, like again, all this information we're getting mainly from his site. So again, that's another plug for Frylytics um and, and what he has done for the game of college baseball it's been remarkable but yes charlie list me off a series all right and we're making another column this week because fry lytics is our guest picker if he wants to be picking the series
0: that's right okay boys then i'll start now first series we're talking about today number four florida at miami on the weekend series i've got number f- i've got florida winning it i think even though it is at miami I just think Florida's a lot more talented than this Miami squad. And like I'm not going to pick against Kevin O'Sullivan.
1: Huh? That's fair. That is fair. I think, I think there's something hard though, man. I think there's something really hard about going in to a tough environment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like they call it Alex Rodriguez park at Mark Lightfield for a reason. And I just, to me, you know, I just think there's gonna be something tough about trying to roll your sleeves up and get to work in Coral Gables, and I'm gonna go with Miami in this one. Robert, what about you?
2: I mean, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shock you, and, and I'm about to agree with Will, you know, and and go with Miami in, in the in the series at home. And you know, I want to talk about a guy named Daniel Kubit yes. who. Uh, it's looking like a freshman version of Yo-Yo Morales from last week. I like hearing that. So, uh, you know, if if he continues to hit the way he did last weekend against Long Island, hey, I think Miami will, will win this series uh, two games to one. And Robert
1: no, – game- sorry, go ahead. Or No, wait, I was, oh, no, no, I was, I was uh... just going to say
2: this series should be a banger. <laughs>
1: it should be and it's going to be a very intense series everybody's getting florida's best shot they're hitting them with their best shot i mean they've got their their florida they're 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 highly touted and robert how about a guy who started five games for him this year i know you like him his name is jd urso
2: that's right you know the former former tampa spartan uh, his dad, you know, a very illustrious head coach at Tampa, but yeah, performing there for Miami as well. So hopefully, uh, hopefully, you know, he, he'll come in big, some big time spots and perform against Florida.
1: Yep, for yeah. sure. And obviously, Hernandez has been a good starter for them. It's going to be a good. It's going to be a good yeah. series. I mean, Florida's got talent out the wazoo. That's why they're a top five team of the country. Um, Absolutely. Next, next one. Yeah. Next series. Let's do it.
0: We've got number nine, Clemson. Versus number 19, South Carolina. It is a home neutral away series. Just keep that in mind for the people at home. I'm going to take Clemson. I think this could go either way for sure. Because like South Carolina is fen- tremendously talented. And it's, you know, any weekend, Cole Messina, Ethan Petrie can put you, put you in a body bag real quick. But somehow Clemson's like been more impressive than I even thought they'd be. So I'm, I'm riding with the Tigers for this one. I like what they've been doing. I believe in what they're doing. But once again, this is a coin flip for me.
1: Yeah. I mean, when I look at South Carolina, they're seven and one. They just, they, I mean, they had success somewhat of success against one of Robert's ad mentioned would have been small school picks in Belmont. They take two of three and they dominate them in the two games, but then they lose 11 to two in, in one of those games kind of thinking, huh? But I don't know. I just, something has been attractive to me about, I mean, Clemson for sure it, it is a great story, but for me, looking at Petri, I like him. I think Messina has not hit his stride yet. And I think it's going to be this weekend. And I think a guy like Dylan Brewer is putting a lot of the country on notice to start the year yeah. um, hitting five sixty with 14 hits through eight starts and 10 runs driven in. And Petri, I mean, he's right back to it. Messina and Petri have combined for six nukes already. So that's pretty good. And then obviously, I think that they have some impressive starting pitching. Eli Jones does a pretty good job on the mound. Roman Kimball does a pretty good job on the mound. That is it think, for Roman? Yep. And I think even Matthew Becker coming. in out of the bullpen doing some stuff, also has a start on the year as a guy to watch. So I just think South Carolina is, is going to get the best of them in a series like this. They're going to come to play because this is always fun in the same breath that UNC and ECU did, how you get home, then you get away game, then you get a neutral site game all in the midst of a three-game set. Yeah. Robert, who you got?
2: Uh, yeah, it's a similar breath. You know, like uh, it was very shocking to see Kennesaw State just belliger Clemson they as they did in the first game of the series. So, um, you know, I, I got to side with South Carolina as well. So thinking that, you know, that this offense for South Carolina is going to perform at a high level and, you know, hopefully take two or three against Clemson. That's fair. That's
0: fair. I'm liking that you guys are doubting me because this, this would be huge – this would be, this would be a huge if I go 5-0. No, this would be a huge separator. This, be, this is the kind of weekends you want, you know?
1: Doubting uh, you. We're just having different uh, opinions now. Come on.
0: You gotta find an angle. We always gotta find that edge. Uh, and speaking of edges, we got a good uh non-power five matchup next, fellas. Number 21, Campbell at Georgia Southern. Two programs who've had a ton of success since we started this podcast. I'm gonna go Campbell. I think they're legit. Um I'm just not gonna bet against Campbell early on like this because they always. Anytime I ever, ever picked against Campbell, it seems to burn me, so I'm going to stick with it. I see Will's changing his now as well, but I'm rocking with the Camels.
1: Yeah, I am too. I mean, I think it's going to be hard to win in Statesboro, but um, Georgia Southern is a team that has started the year two and five, and part of me was uh, feeling good about, oh, they're hosting a nationally ranked team, they'll get up for it but starting the year two and five and they're one and three at home. Now they have had to play Maryland and Georgia tech at home. And then they just lost two of three at Mississippi state. So it's been a tough schedule, but Campbell arguably the toughest team that they will play. So um, I don't know if you're going to see something change and obviously a team that went two games below 500 last year. And then they had a, the very impressive and rather historic year a couple of years ago when they went 41 and 20, but yeah, I don't think they're going to have enough juice to beat the Camels.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm with you both, you know, like it, the, the one thing I'll say about George showing it really depends on how well, you know, both Mitchell gross and Thomas Hickens do at the top of the rotation there against the camel offense, you know, they, they were able to keep, their team in the game last weekend against uh, Mississippi, Mississippi state. Obviously the, the only game they did win was that second game where uh gross started, but he did not get to win. You know, David Smith was great in relief there. So sure. yeah, I mean, you just, you just can't count out the camels. You know, there's, there's just nothing wrong with counting them out.
1: I agree. Yeah. And Charlie, Charlie, it's like, we can't doubt them. We can't. Yeah. And so the fact that I even consider doubting them, shame on me because When you have Grant Nip.
0: Grant Nip, Lawson Harrell, there's some dudes on the squad.
1: Dude, Nip is, is, I mean, he might have the best. He's got to have some of the best stats in the country right now. Yeah, he's cooking He is 10 for 19 with 10 runs scored, five home runs, two doubles, and 13 runs driven in. So seven of his 10 hits have gone for extra bases. And he has been hit or walked 10 times compared to just six strikeouts, hitting 526. And the best stat you'll hear today through seven starts is he has a 2,000, north of a 2,000 OPS. Uh, Grant Nip and, of course, <laughs> Lawson and Harrell have gone off this year for Campbell, who's only hitting 250 as a team. And we've yeah. said it many times all they were doing last year is hitting. Like Michael Jackson in the 80s, they produced only hits. And this year, they're hitting two fifty one with a nine oh seven OPS as a team. It's still pretty good, but it's not quite like the offense that we saw lead the country last year in offense from a season ago. But again, a 6-1 team, they're pretty impressive, and they're nationally ranked, and they've got Grant Nip, who's doing
0: work. Yeah. And hopefully they'll be hitting balls off the wall this weekend. <laughs> now the next area. think you, Will. I need somebody to notice it. Yeah,
1: uh, and hopefully they throw some thriller of of sliders and things like that. You know,
0: or a thriller of a series.
1: Yeah, hopefully. Uh,
0: next series though, we've got number twenty three Auburn versus UConn. UConn's been a little bit down so far this year, but it's still a good program. I trust what they did. They're always gonna have good ball players. Going to play good baseball, even though I'm saying that I'm still taking Auburn. Like I love Butch Thompson. I like. I really like this Auburn squad. I think that being at home is a big time thing, especially early on in the season. I do feel like the Southern State, the Southern schools, have a little bit of an advantage versus those, versus these Northern schools in terms of time being outside and getting some live looks.
1: Yeah, you make a good point about UConn because they've been a great program. They get MLB draft pick after MLB draft pick after MLB draft pick. But yeah, to start two and four, um, you know it's not, it's not great. Obviously, we've already talked about them because obviously Cal got the sweep of them. That's tough, you know. Then you got to go to Auburn, a ranked yeah. team, and I'm not, I'm not rocking with UConn on this, yeah. on this occasion because of it. I just think that Auburn, Auburn's an impressive team, six and one, um, and, and to beat Iowa this week, to beat Wichita State, and to only lose by two runs to Virginia, I think there's something to be said about Auburn and what they've done this year. They've been a program that has kind of just been slept on. Um, Not just like they're six and one sure. They're a good start. And I'm not talking about this season. They're a team that's regional, super regional, like knocking at the door every year. And I think they've been a little bit slept on Um, and They shouldn't be because they're, they're dead. And it's easy to sleep on teams, right? Because within the breadth of the sec, I mean, if you're the worst sec team, which they really rarely ever are, you're still a darn good team. But for Auburn, Derek Fabian is a darn good player. Um, yeah, he done. he has had 10 RBIs and he's hitting 412 for this team. So they've had some fun with him uh, fronting that order. And obviously Bobby Pierce um, is doing work once again. He had a fantastic, uh, he's been just a fantastic college baseball player. I mean, he, he hit 343 last year and obviously he's off to a pretty good start again this year. He's a 309 career hitter through 385 at bat. So they've got a good team.
0: Yeah, and two things before I kick it over to Robert for his pick. Um, One, I do think Auburn's got a pretty underrated atmosphere in terms of their ball field. Like, it's easy to be overlooked in the SEC when you have you know, the LSUs, the Mississippi States, the Ole Misses, the Arkansas. Like legendary, iconic, even Florida. Iconic like fan base when Vandy. it comes to college baseball. Yeah, Vandy. So Auburn does have a good one. So that I think we will add another layer to it. And then I'm glad you mentioned Derek Fabian because it's nice. I Hopefully his bounce back continues for him because he did have some serious struggles back when he was at Florida, and I, I can't imagine it was very easy for him to slot right in there right after his brother judd just finished a fantastic career at the university of florida and there are high expectations coming in for fabian and he did falter a little bit but it's nice to see him bounce back now at auburn
2: absolutely i mean when when you want to talk about plainsman park i mean there's there's this twitter account called plainsman best that was just you know that's that's all he does co- cover auburn but he was you know one at the forefront of promoting college baseball and making sure that every college team was able to have like a TV stream or link yeah. that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I can't, I can't not take Auburn again. Like, like the factors you guys talked about, they're just a really good team, but I do think UConn will get one of three. In I like this that. So oh. I think Auburn will win, but I think they'll win just two of three.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I think it's a valid take. I mean, it's just, it's like, it's, it's so silly. It's, it's really funny. I think that I, I'll use me as the example that we use, um or I use, I should say, We're like, Oh, this school has a great reputation for baseball, which is silly because like, I think it makes more sense in pro sports where um, there's maybe a little less roster turnover and turn of the stars where college baseball, theoretically it's, you know, four years and you're gone. So with that being said though, the next series fellas two really good programs. Like I just said, number 24, UC Santa Barbara at, Oregon who's unranked but the offense has been cooking this year shout out to Jacob Wall she's been really good for them as well I'm gonna go Oregon I think I'll regret that decision though because I easily think this one kill either way because Santa Barbara's kind of faltered a little bit out of the gates from what we thought they'd be which has been tough I mean shout out to Campbell for beating them I guess but uh, I would if this was at Santa Barbara I would probably pick Santa Barbara but since it's at Oregon and Oregon is really hot right now that's why I'm sticking with Oregon so this I said um Clemson, South Carolina was a coin flip. They're, that was probably the second hardest one for me to pick because I think Santa Barbara versus Oregon was the hardest one for me.
1: Yeah, at Oregon though, give me the Ducks. Quack quack.
2: Yeah, I mean, my my thought process is similar to you guys. I think we'll take, I'll take Oregon, especially with Matt Ager's you know, early season struggles. Yeah. To- I mean, if, if he was pitching lights out, I would take UC Santa Barbara in a series, but again, like Oregon's playing really well. And this, this team is going to be tough to beat at, at, at home.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a guy named Jeffrey Hurd, and I, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he has started the year off hitting 500 through seven starts. That's 14 of 28 with, what I consider to be pretty impressive eight of his 14 hits going for extra bases, six doubles, a triple and a home run. Um, I think that that's a pretty good player. Um, and they have a couple of those on Oregon. So I think it'll be a great series. Um, I'm with Charlie's maybe so to speak, tough UCS be a ranked team in their own right, but. Oregon hosting it. Uh, they don't lose a ton of ball games at home. And I think this will be kind of an intrigue, right? Because you kind of talk about the Pac-12 struggles. Yeah. Like, how could the Pac-12 do? Obviously, the Pac-12 has to take the brunt of it a little bit because TCU is playing seven straight games against Pac-12 opponents. So they're gonna Pac-12 is gonna take losses, you know. But, you know, with a six and one start for Oregon, it was pretty impressive what they were able to do in Arlington, Texas, you know, beating Oklahoma, beating Baylor. Close one with tech, and then you know it's just hard to know what they did this weekend because they're playing Lafayette, you know. But yeah. based off what they did first weekend, I think you could say with confidence that you know there's good reason to watch the Oregon live stream to see how they could do against UC Santa Barbara coming up this weekend.
0: Absolutely.
1: Wow, that does it for a midweek pod for real. That's oh, yeah. it's been one. That's sad because it comes to a conclusion now. This is where you get your sense in if you want them in, Robert. Any other things you want to add about NCAA Division One baseball?
2: No, just excited to continue following and we're we're excited, all three of us to be able to uh, bring more attention to college baseball as a whole And you know Division one baseball is just beautiful to watch every weekend. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. it's I growing. Was-
0: yeah, and Robert, I said it on the last podcast too. I was like, the way I've been describing it to people now, I'm like, it's essentially the first two days of March Madness every weekend. The second you wake up, to the second you go to bed, there's college baseball on And if you want to watch it, it's there for you.
1: Yeah, and the other part of it too is if we want to tie a bow on this entire podcast, Robert Fry loves briefs baseball. So do we. We love NCAA Division one baseball. That's why the midweek podcast is the midweek podcast. But a comment that was made earlier in the show, um, Charlie, you mentioned that baseball is better when a Florida state is good, right? Yep. Yeah. And then you mentioned Football is better when an Alabama is good. And it dawned on me that, damn, football's been good for a long time, though, because I don't remember when those boys have been bad. But uh, nonetheless, yes, it it is fun when good teams are good. Um, But if that makes any sense, because if you're a good team, you're good. But nonetheless, I'm with you. Historic, traditional program like Florida State. There's some fun storylines to follow, though, and there's some bangers of series coming up. Yeah, uh, it's it's about that season for the good the the great matchups
0: to start going.
1: Absolutely. Um final thing we'll plug is at the midweek underscore pod on X, please follow us so we can continue to grow the show. Um, Absolutely. that's how we continue to grow, is by you following us, liking, subscribing, rating, and reviewing the midweek podcast. So once again, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back next week to break down some more action. And again, stay tuned because if you like Robert Fry, uh, he's becoming a great friend of the show. Absolutely. Are you
0: working? What kind of work do you do?